Welcome to the College Football Playoff Show Q&A, where Doug Maurice and Shahan J. Haraja answer questions about the playoff and its contenders from subscribers. Thanks, you guys, for joining us. Doug Maurice, Shahan J. Haraja. Oh, Shahan, <laughs> we have actual football to talk about. We were on fumes, baby. Come on. <laughs> By the end, it's like, what else? We've been doing this for two months. How good did it feel to sit down and absorb college football this weekend? Oh my gosh. It I will say last year, right? Last year we had college football, but not really almost, right? Like, I mean, all these seasons started in different ways. We didn't get to see so many of the great non-conference matchups. And I think non-conference is one of the more fun things about college football. Like it just wasn't real in so many ways. And the moment that uh, that Virginia Tech, you know, you enter to enter Sandman and that crowd is just going crazy. It was like, OK, we're back. This is happening. And not only that, we got some great games to start this first week. Uh, and uh, not not as not all the games ended in upsets, but a lot of them were way, way closer than I think a lot of people thought. I got to say, one of the things I'm excited about the most about this weekend, Shahan, is that I thought college football made our show look good. Because we weren't we weren't dangling in with some of these teams that are like, well, they didn't win, but we don't talk about them because we didn't ever get to thinking they were all that good. That's going to be our first question from the tech subscribers, because we have shaped our own contenders here. And very clearly, I think, Shahan, is getting to be when people say like, oh, what about this? We're getting some questions from the tech subscribers. If you were part of it, 817-442-6789, send the text there. You can sign up. It's a dollar a month, but you get two weeks to try it for free. People say, what do you think of this contender, that contender? And contender just means the teams we talk about. I like that we've zeroed in on that. But that means, for instance, like some of the stuff that went way wrong, we're not worried about because we were never really in on some of those teams. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, definitely interesting. I mean, I, I feel validated on some of my picks. I feel validated on some of the votes that I was turned over on. I think that we can <laughs> probably start with a, with one of those teams pretty early. But I mean, I will say in general, right, Alabama looked awesome. Alabama looked as good as better, actually, than what I thought they were going to look like. Um, and the other thing, too, here's the danger of playing on that first night, right, is like, all of us haven't seen any of these teams, so we're micro just analyzing every little thing. And it's like, oh, CJ Stroud, you know, he didn't look very good throwing this throw. And then all these other games happen. It's like, oh, that wasn't that big a deal. Oh, no, right. It was like, oh, CJ Stroud missed a couple throws. Then it was like, oh, DJ Uyunglele got sacked seven times. <laughs> right. And didn't looked like he didn't know what he was seeing for most of the game. So, oh, young quarterbacks. I, I did think, to your point about non-conference games, man, did we miss them last year. Mm. We just lost all the context. And so to get Clemson, Georgia, I mean, that was one of the it was a certainly a specific kind of game. But that's one of the best games out of the shoot that we've seen in college football. in I don't know how long. Right. And then and Alabama took care of business. I know, you know, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, that's a conference game. But it gave us a read on some stuff. We got a read out of the gate. And I think a lot of it. Listen, Shahan, there's going to be an overreaction and some of the teams that struggled in week one are going to come back in week two in a big way. And we know that. But I think there was enough stuff that you could pick up on. Sometimes I think we put too little in week one because you can say, oh, it's only week one. But yeah, but it's only you only got 12 weeks. It's a 12th of the regular season. I thought there was some real stuff that popped up that is going to matter in October and November and December. Yeah, no question about it. Well, with that, do you want to ask the first question? 
Look at you. Look at you keeping us on task. I'm just so excited to talk about football. <laughs> I went to a high school football game Friday night. It went. It felt great. Thursday night, I was at the Ohio State game in Minnesota. That means on Saturday, I got to be home and watch all the games. And I just want to hang out and bathe in college football. And Shahan is like, Doug, this is a podcast. It's not just a phone call it's- where I just call up Shahan and say, hey, man, how you doing? This is a pathway. This is a pathway to talking about it. Come on, let's get going. All right. And this is, I like, again, starting off the podcast with a question, not about college football, but about our podcast. This is from our guy, Chris. Are there teams that you voted in? And again, we started with 10 teams in our mix, where if you had to do it again after watching, you wouldn't have voted them in or vice versa, Chris asks. Is there anybody that we didn't have in our initial mix, Shahan, that we wish now we would have? And again, just to repeat, most of you guys listening by now, if you're new, welcome. Thank you for joining us. If you've been along for the ride, awesome. It was Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, Notre Dame, Texas A&M, Iowa State, Cincinnati, Oregon. That was our 10 to start. How much did we get wrong, John? If I'm talking about my votes, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be a jerk here. I feel like I was very validated. I feel like the teams that I thought were going to look good looked pretty good. Now, the one exception, and this is not a team that I regret putting in by any means, Iowa State did their early season Iowa State thing. That was just inexplicable but this they do that every year i i know that it doesn't make it better because you can't go down to the wire with northern iowa but they do this every year and it doesn't end up actually mattering but other than that i mean i was kind of out on notre dame i didn't think it was going to go quite like that but i mean i think that that was validated uh i i'm glad that i stood up and said no to north carolina i i don't think Mm. i expected it again to look as bad as it did but i'm glad that i didn't and I'm glad that uh, that this was more of an off-air thing. I'm glad that we didn't have the LSU discussion because I yep. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I saw them as a five and five team that was, you know, coming back with some nice things, but still had a lot of question marks. So I'm not going to say no that uh, it, actually. And, and one more to mention, too, is Oregon, Oregon, obviously going down to the wire with Fresno State, another team that I voted against. So I'm not saying that I didn't do anything wrong, but. I had a pretty good offseason. I had a pretty (laughs) good (laughs) offseason. So a couple things. And I I do want to talk about Nasty Shahan for a moment because (laughs) we got a taste of it over the weekend. And I was like, where did that come from? By the way, I was like trying to plan my daughter's birthday party this weekend. And just like out of nowhere, Sean was like, well, Doug is such an idiot on Twitter. I was like, my feelings are hurt. (laughs) But I also feel like it's legitimate. It's stirring up interest in the podcast. So I like it. We'd never discussed Washington. Great. We never discussed Wisconsin. Great. We never discussed LSU. Great. And you did, by the way. I remember the off-pod off conversation where you were totally out on LSU. You saved us on North Carolina. I was in on North Carolina. You were out, and the texters were out on North Carolina. It was either 51-49 or 52-48. That's how close we were to having North Carolina in. But so as it turned out, I am very happy with our 10 And there's not somebody that wasn't in our 10 that I wish was in. There wasn't anybody that I thought announced themselves this weekend as like, hey, 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 here we are. We are going to we're talking about teams to add on the Big Wednesday pod. Make sure you listen to that. But I thought we kind of nailed it. But I do want to talk briefly, Shahan. And I want to talk to Nasty Shahan. I don't know if you have to go get him in another room. (laughs) Just blindsided. I said like I said, when we did our quarterback rankings, I had Sam Howell ahead of Spencer Rattler. Sam Howell throws three interceptions. By the way, the interceptions are an out that his receiver loses the battle for the ball with the DB. I'm not sure that's on Sam. 
A ball tipped at the line where he gets a little sidearm in the pocket and a defensive tackle tips it. That's on him, but it's not like he threw it right to a DB. And then a a play with 30 seconds left where he's trying to save his team and he gets spun in a circle and makes a desperation throw. So I I don't even remember. I just remember the feeling in my heart when I read it, I don't remember what it said, but Shaham was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Doug's guy, <laughs> Sam Howell, throwing three picks. Can't believe he liked him more than Spencer Rattler. And then Spencer Rattler came out against Tulane and just threw it straight to Tulane for no reason three times, except one was called back by a bad penalty. So I, if I was wrong about Sam Howell, I think you were equally wrong about Spencer Rattler in terms of, man, the two best quarterbacks in the country sure made some mistakes in week one. Well, I mean, come on. Spencer Rattler knows it's week one. We need some excitement. We need some pizzazz. I mean, come on. We got to give those uh, those wonderful Tulane green wave. It's, it's been a tough week for Tulane. I mean, come on. We got to give them a nice moment, right? Uh, it was basically their home field. They had a, a logo painted right on the field. But no, in seriousness, the one guy that we both need to apologize to in a big way is Bryce Young. Because, yeah. oh my goodness, Apparently, it does not matter what your arm angle looks like in a spring game, because if you can throw the football, you can throw the football. Yeah, he has great receivers. Yeah, you know, he, he made some things happen. But the thing that impressed me so much about him was just how poised he was. Right. Like, I did not expect that. You can't really I, I think it's hard to project that sort of thing. But like, he just did such a good job and his, his line did a great job, of course. But like when he was pressured, he never panicked he always kept his eyes downfield there was one play I mean it was it was like early in the second quarter I think where he just drops back he gets a light pressure and he's running out and it looks like a scramble right he's about to get three yards and get tackled and he throws it just like 11 yards for a first down and just that kind of ability I mean he was so accurate the ball came out so quick I yeah we owe a big apology to to Bryce Young because uh at least in week one he was the best quarterback in college football Clearly among the three second-year guys, first-year starters for Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State, it was Bryce Young, and it wasn't even close mm-hmm. compared to what DJ Uyunglele and CJ Stroud did. I thought Bryce Young looked kind of like Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler, to me, almost looks disinterested at times. Yeah. He reminds me of Zane from One Direction <laughs> and that's, that he has great individual talent. But... <laughs> See, you got to be listening to the pod so you know what I'm talking about. Great individual talent, but sometimes he's in the pocket and he's so calm. It's like, does he even want to be here? And then he's like, eh, 31-yard strike. Eh, 26-yard touchdown. Eh, airmail a throw in the middle of the field for an interception for no apparent reason. Where Bryce Young looked as calm as Spencer Rattler looked, but looked more locked in every snap. And there were plays, Bryce Young had moments where he would step up in the pocket, where he would maneuver and move out and then rip it in a way that was like, DJ can't do that right now. CJ can't do that right now. That looked like a veteran dude. So we had Bryce Young lower in our rankings. He looked very good, but I also have a take on Alabama, which I actually actually think might be the question that we're getting to now. Yeah, let's move on. This is from Greg. Should we just crown Alabama's national champs, then set up the playoffs to determine number two? No. Oh. Because I do not want you to get sucked in by Nick Saban, diabolical, scheduling, genius. Miami is not good. They did not come out and compete in the first half. And you could tell they did a couple things in the second half 
where it was like, well, they have a couple dudes. They could do a little something. Why didn't they do this before it was 41 to three? They had a they got stopped on a fourth and one at the goal line because they tried to hurry up kind of thing. And they slammed the Eric King into the line. They had another red zone trip that they had no red zone plan and it wound up in a field goal. I'm not saying they were going to beat Bama. They were never going to beat Bama, but they should have competed better. And this win is going to fool some people on Bama. It's going to lead to some questions like this. And I would like to reference again, Nick Saban, Diabolical Scheduling Genius. 2012, they open up with Michigan. Michigan's number eight. Bama beats them 41-14. Michigan goes eight and five. 2013, they open with Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech has a great reputation. Bama wins by 25. Virginia Tech goes eight and five. 2014, they open with West Virginia. Hey, it's West Virginia. They only win by 10. But it's still a good, solid Power 5 win. West Virginia goes 7-6. 2015, they open with Wisconsin. Wisconsin's number 20. Bama wins 35-17. Wisconsin goes 10-3. They finish 21st in the country and win the Holiday Bowl. Who cares? They're not a good team. They, they lose two other games in the regular season to teams they shouldn't lose to. 2016, USC, 52-6. USC is number 20 at that point. They go 10-3, and three, but they lose three of their first four as they're finally starting Sam Darnold. Bama beats non-Sam Darnold, USC, and then they go 10-3 and three with Sam Darnold. They get all the credit for the USC win. USC stinks when they play Alabama. 2017, Florida State's number three. They're number three. They go 10 and three. They finish number nine, but they are still not that good. They are still like it is not. It is not a great team. They beat Louisville in 2018. Louisville goes two and 10. They beat Duke in 2019. Duke goes five and seven. This is what they do. They schedule power five teams for their openers. Those were all neutral side openers against teams that you think you're impressed in the moment because Bama beat them. And it turns out those teams are not good. Miami is not going to be good. It is De'Ara King and they do not have a plan. Manny Diaz is trying to be the defensive coordinator and the head coach. It's not going to work. Everybody got fooled. And that first half domination was as much about Miami as it was about Bama. Now, Bryce Young, cool in the pocket. Woo, baby. Alabama defense, nothing easy. They do not, they're, nobody is ever open. They don't give you any easy stuff. But I would not come out of this. The main thing is, do not come out of this weekend thinking Bama is that much better than Georgia. Or come out of this weekend thinking Bama, that Spencer Rattler can't do anything when he finds himself again, right? That Spencer Rattler couldn't do something with this Bama defense. Don't get tricked. They are Bama. But they are not as good as they looked in that first half because that was them taking advantage of an overrated Miami team. They were number 14 in the country. That is not the 14th best team in the country. Do you disagree with that, John? So I, I think that it's on track. I think that Miami's probably about a 9-3 and three team. But I think the thing to me that impressed me more was just the fact that it looked like a regular Alabama team and that they did regular Alabama things. And that doesn't mean that they're better than Georgia or Clemson or Ohio state today, but it means that they're at a starting point that I don't think I expected them to be at. Right. Like, cause you mentioned it, several of those teams, especially, I mean, you go back and talk about right. Playing West Virginia, who was a pretty good West Virginia team back in 2014, I think it was, and only winning by 10, right? Like, so winning easily, clearly being the better team on the field, but only winning kind of close, like, 
And that was not a title team for Alabama. That was a borderline title team for Alabama. But they came out and and I meant you mentioned it. Go up 41 to three. Really make it look easy. And the other thing that impressed me, too, is that it's one thing for them to just like line up and bowl you over. But they just won in so many different ways. I, I think that's also what impressed me about it. Now, I'm not declaring them better than everybody else. I'm not declaring them uh, as the as the reader suggests or the listener. I'm sorry, I'm used to I'm used to the Internet, but uh, I'm not I'm not doing what the uh, what the listener suggests and saying it's over. Nobody else can win. But we talked about it last week on our on our preview show. I thought that Alabama was maybe a step behind this year. I thought that maybe they were a team that was going to lose two games well, this looks like a regular Alabama team. They're, they look like a team that's going to clearly get to the playoff. What happens when they get there, I think, is a different conversation. But at least for this one week, which is all the data that we have at this point, they look like a playoff team. Yeah, I'll be curious. I mean, they stop Miami on that silly fourth and one, and they come out, they wind up with a third and six at the, at the six-yard line or whatever four-yard line and they throw a 94-yard touchdown pass to Jamison Williams because the safety sucks down on John Mechie. They have a single coverage situation with a guy who has no hope of staying with him and he's open by eight yards when he catches it and Bryce Young just drops it in like that. It's not functional defense. It's not it's it's not good football and I get that Bama makes you look bad but Miami also made itself look bad I thought so I am not saying for sure that like AM can't give them a game. And I am not saying that Georgia can't beat them in, the, in the, the SEC championship. It's not like we ever thought Bama was going to go eight and four. You know, it's just like I didn't, we didn't, you and I both picked them to not make the playoff. I, I, I feel very good about some of my playoff stuff after week one. Some of it I'm a little iffy on. I am not thinking to myself, well, you big idiot. How did you not put Bama in the playoff? They're clearly going to be in the playoff because I do think we're going to come out of this and overrate them a little bit because Miami wasn't ready. Miami wasn't ready in the first half. So l- right, let me ask go. you a counter question real quick. Yeah. Where would you have Alabama ranked if you saw your AP vote right now? Two. Yeah, I, I think they have to be one or two, right? And yeah, a lot's going to happen. I mean, Oklahoma's not going to look that bad forever, no matter uh, right. how many textures try to tell me that. Uh, Ohio State looked really good, I, and I think that they're going to continue to get better, especially as C.J. Stroud gets more comfortable. So there's still a pathway certainly for Alabama to not be one of the top four teams. But right now, just with the data that we have, which isn't a whole lot, but it's what we have. It's probably them in Georgia really kind of a, a head above the rest. I do think, and this happened in a couple games, Miami's offensive line just couldn't hold up. So no. it, it, Miami, Alabama's in your face all the time. Oklahoma and Ohio State maybe are the two best offensive line in college football. That doesn't mean Bama's not going to be great on defense, but if you don't have a very good offensive line, you're probably in trouble against Alabama. Alabama's going to play some teams with very good offensive lines. Texas A&M has some dudes on the offensive line that Miami doesn't have. And when Will Anderson and all these guys, by the way, Christopher Allen for Alabama looks like out for the year. That hurts. They have another five-star, I'm sure, ready to fill in. But when Will Anderson, some of these guys are teeing off, and it looks like uh, De'Ara King doesn't even have a second to breathe. And it's like, you look at it, it's like the right guard's like, oh, oops, oh, that inside move beat me. And it's like, well, that's not, that's non-functional football, but they are going to run into some teams that are going to function at a higher level that will, I think, bring us down from, the only thing I'm pushing back against is the idea of like, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying, Bama might be the best team, 
But there are teams that are going to hang with them in a way that Miami had no chance to do it. Let's get to a new team that we have not talked about. We may talk about them a little bit on the Wednesday pod, but we want to talk about them now for sure. It's from our guy Grant. Is UCLA going to win the Pac-12? I'm asking as a Los Angeles listener who badly wants a team here to get excited about. We had a couple other people who asked about UCLA as well. Again, the big win over Hawaii in week one and now LSU in week two. Shahan, what do you think? So we mentioned it coming into the show, right? I am not high on LSU. I don't think LSU is that special a team. I do think it's a testament to L- to UCLA, rather, that they were able to kind of go out there. And, and to me, for 60 minutes, they were clearly the better team. They ran all over them. They passed all over them. They defended them at a really high level. Uh, it was a very impressive display for me from US, uh, from UCLA. And the other thing, too, is that I think the thing I'm most impressed by is that they have a talent disadvantage and it didn't look like it like it at any point. Right. I mean, they came out there and they pushed LSU around. This is an LSU team that especially the last two years has recruited at that super elite level that we've talked about. That's why we feel like we have to talk about them, because they've recruited at such a high level, the Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State level. But I will push back just a little because I also just don't think that UCLA or that LSU. Oh, my gosh. The letters are just flying everywhere (laughs) so many letters so many letters i don't think that lsu is going to have a very good year i think they're probably about an eight and four team i don't think they're five and five like they were last year but i I think they're a very average team the thing that i will say about ucla and about the city of los angeles is that looking at the rest of the pac-12 i think that the battle for la might decide the pac-12 i i don't know whether oregon's going to be quite as good as we thought that they were I thought that USC looked pretty good. I thought that UCLA obviously has looked really good early. That battle at least is going to decide the South for me. I don't think Arizona State's going to do it. I don't think Utah's going to do it. So I do think that there could be a really, really fun game coming along between USC and UCLA. And at minimum, the winner of that game, I I think, is going to compete with Oregon for the Pac-12. So there's a lot to be excited about, I think, between those two teams. Power in that conference might be in the South this year. Washington laid an absolute egg. Washington was a team that some people really liked, and Oregon certainly struggled, especially once Kayvon Thibodeau left the field. They were a completely different defense without Kayvon Thibodeau, which makes me, they still have some five-star guys flying around, but it just felt like it it was a different team. I'm not so sure that Oregon, when Kayvon Thibodeau was out of the game, it felt like Fresno State and Oregon were equal. Like That's how good Oregon is if they don't have Kayvon Thibodeau. So he is sprained ankle, day-to-day, Mario Cristobal said on Monday, improving could play on Saturday, and I don't know what kind of ankle injury. He got rolled up from behind, which is always, you don't like those, Shahan, when they got, you get rolled up. If it's a regular ankle sprain, I think he can play. If it's a high ankle sprain, he's probably not going to play, right? And people, like, lump all the ankle sprains together. They're two completely separate injuries. So Oregon without him, it's one of those things like, oh, well, take away the best player in college football, and suddenly they're not so good. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, because if you took Kayvon Thibodeau off of Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Clemson, you wouldn't notice it as much. They were a different team. I think UCLA might be the best team Hmm. in the Pac-12. The run game, Zach Charbonnet, Britton Brown, 12, excuse me, 28 carries, 213 yards, two touchdowns combined. Dorian Thompson-Robinson wasn't asked to do a lot. 9-16 for 260, made the throws when he needed to make it. Looked like a, a guy who had some confidence. He's a veteran, right? That, I mean, compared to... What I thought Anthony Brown looked like for Oregon, I was like, I'd take Dorian Thompson-Robinson 100 times out of 100. Chip Kelly never had the best players in the country at Oregon. He had players who fit what he wanted to do. 
And it feels like, hey, man, there were some holes there and Charbonnet and Brown were hitting them. It's because Chip Kelly is getting his offense together. And you let Chip Kelly scheme it up a little bit. Don't for, that, I hope people didn't forget Chip Kelly was at least an offensive genius. If he still is, they have enough guys. They have enough guys, I think, to get it done. They might be. They might be. If you ta- if you had to bet a dollar eighty three, let's bet a dollar eighty three right now on your pick a Pac twelve champ. I think I'd pick UCLA. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they're as good a bet as any, and we don't know what's going to happen with this Thibodeau injury, right? And so that's a big part of it. I feel real good for putting Kayvon Thibodeau number one on my defense uh, defensive players list. Look at that; it just keeps coming back to that. Kyle Hamilton jumped out of the stands, ran across the field, <laughs> back and forth three times, and picked off a pass. So I feel pretty good about Kyle wow. Hamilton. He, being he almost one on my list beat too. Florida State. Look at that! <laughs> or, or they did. They did. They they beat him in <laughs> overtime. Look at that. Let's. I, that is one of those things you do. I mean, there's no better way to realize how good a player is and take him off the field. And it was like, oh, Kayvon Thibodeau is single-handedly propping up Oregon's playoff chances. Cool, I guess he is good. But I think if you took Kyle Hamilton off of Notre Dame, you might find out the same. Clearly the two best defense players in college football. Yeah, and Derek Stingley, I don't even know what he did against UCLA because everybody was too focused on Coach O saying, oh, put on your blue sister shirt. That is not, (laughs) oh, you got a sissy blue shirt, Coach O. That is like, that's going to be on his uh, dismissal form. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the ad it's like you always you could do those freedom of information things to get like people's performance reviews and it's like ed orgeron what's his performance review it's like went went five and seven also said that a team that he was about to lose to had sissy blue shirts that's a demerit on your performance review for coach o. all right question i don't know question two where are we i we're, think, we're, I we're think going we are on question four so this is from bob should Oklahoma or Ohio State feel more vulnerable to missing the CFP after week one? So I'm going to spread this out to a bigger picture thing. Ohio State is still so explosive at a moment's notice, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave can kill you. The mistakes that CJ Stroud made, a lot of them were young quarterback mistakes, and he did rally in the second half. I think there might be some things with CJ Stroud that aren't only first game jitters. Seeing him in the postgame lock, you know, like the postgame press conference, I thought he explained things really well. I thought he handled himself really well, but he still missed some throws. He still has, you know, not limitations, but not the up, 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 upside of some guys. But Spencer Rattler has got to get locked in, man. Like he, 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 he let Tulane back in that game. And this is the only reason that I would say, I would say Oklahoma is slightly more vulnerable. And we're going to get into all of this more on the Wednesday pod. It's like, who can make them pay for it? Who can make them pay for it? And if I, I am not out on Iowa State, especially defensively. And that Spencer Rattler, if Spencer Rattler, who still put up good stats and hit a lot of throws against Tulane, if he's going to have four or five loose plays against Iowa State, I think they know how to make him pay for that. I don't exactly know who's going to make Ohio State pay for the, for CJ Stroud being a young quarterback. So that's the only reason Shahan watching those two games, some loose quarterback play defensive lines that got after it when you needed them, because all of a sudden when Tulane was trying to win the game on the last drive, Oklahoma's defensive line was like, Oh wait, the game's on the line. Pressure, 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 pressure. Ohio state's defensive line is like that, but some loose quarterback play and secondaries that you have no faith in right now with at Oklahoma or Ohio state, 
they are very, very similar teams to me, Shahan, except Ohio State has the super dynamic explosive receivers and Oklahoma has the veteran explosive quarterback. Those are the differences. Otherwise, it's almost flipping a coin on are they are either of them actually vulnerable? No, but they'd make you a little nervous, I think. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I'm still not especially worried about either. I think both are going to be playing in the college football playoff. I think both of them are going to be at least 12 and one, if not 13 and 0. And I, I will say, though, I, I think you're right. Looking at the Big Ten, like the Big Ten has a lot of pretty good teams. And there is absolutely nobody to me who can possibly keep up with Ohio State scoring. Just just nobody. I yep. Iowa State probably can't keep up with Oklahoma game after game, week after week. But like they can, they have the ability to do so. And we heard actually from Matt Campbell that Brees Hall's a little banged up. That probably was part of why he had kind of a poor game for them. Like, you know, when he gets back, they'll be really good. I would say it's going to be fine. I, I mean, I don't know if you watch that Penn State game and think, wow, that team is definitely going to be able to score enough to beat Ohio State. I, right. I, I don't know if you do that with Iowa. I mean, I think Iowa looked really, really good. They look clearly like the best team in the West to me, but like it's Ohio State, right? So I don't feel like either of these teams really has much to worry about. And even I, I think that the other side of this too is like, if you're Oklahoma, you saw Iowa State struggle. And so you know that they can really struggle like that. If you're Ohio State, you saw Oregon look pretty terrible. Yeah. I mean, I understand that both didn't look quite as good as we wanted them to, especially Oklahoma just deciding to stop playing football at halftime for some reason. But yeah. I don't know. No, nothing's really changed for me. I, I will ask, do you know offhand? who the head coach of uh, Fresno State is, who Oregon played to a, in, in a real fight there. Uh, There's no reason. Dave Wanstead. Is it Dave Wanstead? <laughs> it's not Dave Wanstead. <laughs> is it Urban? Is it Urban? It's not Urban, is it? Urban didn't go to Fresno State, did he? No, he did not. <laughs> he did not. Who is it? It is Kalen DeBoer, the former offensive coordinator at Indiana. Oh, yeah. No, that guy. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. Oh, that's where he went. Oh, yeah. That guy. I like is Hey, this was a, that was just a flex. That was like, I'm Shahan J. Haraja of CBS Sports. I'm a national writer and I know who the Fresno State coach is. Absolutely. Pre- uh, previously, by the way, Jeff Tedford, a, a name that you might recognize. So, yeah, Jeff Tedford at Cal came into Ohio State one season and almost beat him. Um, all right. We have four more questions to get to. We need to talk about the Clemson, Georgia game, and we will do that next on the College Football Playoff Show. Doug and Shahan, the people asking these questions are paying a dollar a month to do it. A dollar a month. It's like three and a half cents a day. It's Jacob asking this after watching the entire Clemson Georgia game twice. I have no idea if both of their defenses are great or if both of their offenses think stink. I honestly think it might be both. What percentage of that game do you believe was bad offense by both teams versus great defense by both teams, Shahan? So especially with Georgia's defense, I think it was great defense. I, I think that they just caused havoc against Clemson's offensive line. Like Clemson's offensive line is not very good. I, I, I don't want to understate that. But especially on the interior, they were just there was nothing. There was nothing there. It just wasn't happening. And, you know, and, and I will say on the other side, too, like we knew that Clemson had probably the best front four in college football. And after one week, I've 
no reason to think that that's going to go otherwise. But like, man, Georgia's defense was just going crazy against that Clemson offense. And uh, I mean, DJ was on his back so much of the game, whether or not he was getting sacked or not. Like, I, I don't know how many pressures they ended up crediting Georgia with, but it really should just be all of them. Just every snap was basically a, a pressure. On the other side, I do think that Clemson's defense was very impressive. I think that there was a little bit more bad offense there, too. I think that it really showed that they struggle at receiver. I I think it really showed uh, that JT Daniels, you know, that he hasn't played a whole lot of games for Georgia. And, you know, I mean, heck, especially on that back end for Clemson, like they were without uh, their top safety. I mean, you know, that's the sort of thing that you should be able to take advantage of. And I understand with their front, it's harder, but... I think that probably for Clemson, it was really, I think, a lot of Georgia being that good defensively. And for Georgia's offense, I I think it was a lot of not having the receiver talent right now, having a lot of injuries there. Um, But but really for both these, I still think that it was a lot of tremendous defense. It's not like Georgia had 13 guys in the field defensively. Yeah. A lot of the time. And and they just were more, I mean, they sacked. DJ Uyunglele seven times. I think JT Daniels got sacked once. I think I saw something that was like 18 hurries or something for the Georgia defense. And it was all different guys. I mean, N'Kobe Dean was all over the place. Two sacks on blitzes. Jordan Davis, I thought they did a good job limiting his snaps. But when he was in the game, he made a difference. They had different guys coming off the edge, different looks. And yes, Clemson was missing their safety. But I think long term, um, I do think it was more about the defenses and the good news for Georgia is you can see how Georgia's offense is going to get better because they had nobody. They didn't have they didn't have their best receiver. They didn't have their best tight end. Eric Gilbert, maybe he'll never be here, but there was a time they thought they would. They they missed like two other receivers. And then Jermaine Burton, one of the guys who played, had two catches for 11 yards. And Kirby Smart said he's practiced like 10 times in the last 45 practices. They, they basically were without like four and a half of their top five skill guys. And so you can see, okay, well, Georgia's offense has somewhere to go. Clemson, in addition to an offensive line that let DJ get sacked seven times, they had zero run game. Nothing. It wasn't it wasn't Lynn J. Dixon. It wasn't Will Shipley. It wasn't Pace. It, like, nobody could run the ball. So I do think it was mostly defenses, probably 80% defenses. But I can see, as kind of what you said, down the line, there's going to be an answer for the Georgia offense that I don't know where the answers for the Clemson offense is going to, where those are going to come from. Right. Right. No, totally agree. Well, let's go into this next one from Patrick. Uh, It's kind of a question. It's more of just an invitation. Can I get a classic Doug Alex Grinch rant? So Alex Grinch was at Ohio State for a year and it was a weird defensive year. A lot of weird stuff. He was going to he was a great hire. Everybody went nuts when he got hired here. Their defense was bad. And the national people made it sound like none of it was his fault. And then he just left to go save Oklahoma's defense. So I can't believe that they couldn't figure out how to cover the tight end. That there were like there were not a million things that Oklahoma that Tulane was going to do to them. But there were times, Shahan, there were times in that game when Tulane looked like the better team because they had a tight end who had multiple catches on third or fourth down, big plays, Tyreek James, six catches, 93 yards, where he was just running wide open. And then Michael Pratt, the Tulane quarterback, who was just like fought his butt off. Like what an unbelievable game from him. It just felt like there were the times, as I said before, that when the Oklahoma defensive line just absolutely got after it in a way that you thought Oklahoma would win 50 to nothing. 
And so the reason of like, well, why didn't that happen every play? They have dudes. Nick Benito had moments where he was in the backfield in half a second. They have dudes up front. I think they should have been able to dominate that game from a pass rush standpoint far more than we did. Limit Pratt in the run game. Take the tight end away. Tulane didn't have five different guys to go to. And so I have to lean back on. I don't, that's to me is on Alex Grinch. And there's some motivational stuff of like, they got up big and then they kind of relaxed a bit. And what are you doing? All of a sudden Tulane has the ball down five with three minutes to play. Oklahoma could have lost that game. There were some weird plays. By the way, Oklahoma kicked 250 plus field goals. Thank goodness Oklahoma has an awesome kicker. They needed their awesome kicker to beat Tulane. But it's because, yes, Spencer Rattler gave them some short fields. But, man, their talent level is above the way their defense played, and that has to reflect on Alex Grinch, both motivationally and schematically, Sean. Yeah, I mean, it was it was bad. The, the other thing that I will mention, right, is that I also feel like I also feel like a lot of this was a reflection on where their offense is at right now, too. Like they just could not convert on these drives. You mentioned having to kick multiple 50 plus yard field goals like it was weird. It it, it wasn't even playing conservatively because like because playing conservatively is one thing. But like, I think that one of the things that I've come back to is probably that it felt like they really didn't want to use their running backs because they've only got two of them right now because they had guys arrested. They had guys kicked off the team. They had guys transferred there. And they had one guy ruled ineligible because apparently of academics, like they've had the wildest off season of, of almost any team uh, in college football right now. And it felt like they just were so afraid of running the ball. And so, you know, I mean, they technically ran the ball 35 times, but like, Eight of those were Spencer Rattler. They brought in Caleb Williams, their five-star quarterback, to run a goal line set, right? Like, it just felt like they didn't want to run the ball. And now defensively, I mean, they they did not look as prepared as they needed to look. They did not look like they, no. they knew how to adjust to this system. And for people who don't know, like, Tulane runs a very unique system, right? So, like, that is on coaching, that you need to be prepared for that. I think that's where that shows up. But I, I will say, like, the offense kept putting them in bad, bad positions. and. Yeah, I, I it is unbelievable to me to score three second half points. I mean, that was just that was a classic case of the game's over. We're parking the bus at halftime when you're playing against a team that very recently had the lead. And I did because I didn't watch that game live. I went back and watched it after I knew what had happened. But there Tulane also took it to him early a little yep. bit that it was like Tulane did scored right away, scored in its first two possessions, I think. And it was a game right away. Then Oklahoma pulled away. Then Oklahoma let him back in the game. So it wasn't exactly – sometimes it's like all let down. And I thought maybe it was all let down. Tulane showed enough early, especially with some wrinkles on offense, as you said, that Oklahoma should have known, like, we can't be taking these guys lightly in the moment. And it felt like they still were. And that, again, reflects on the coaching. In the end, Oklahoma, 75 offensive plays, 430 yards. Tulane, 77 offensive plays, 396 yards. Oklahoma 5.73 yards per play, Tulane 5.14 yards per play. That's pretty darn close for it being Oklahoma and Tulane. By the way, I will jump in and say real quick that every Power 5 program in college football has watched Willie Fritz do his thing, whether it's at Georgia Southern, whether it's in the FCS ranks, whether it's at Tulane. He's led them to three bowl games for the first time in Tulane history. And every program still thinks they're too good for Willie Fritz. Well, uh, you know, good luck with that, Kansas. I thought Tulane was better than Minnesota. Yeah. 
and Minnesota gave Ohio State a game basically all night. Yeah. Minnesota did not take advantage of every opportunity. I thought there were things that Minnesota didn't do, especially throwing in the middle of the field and just continually to run the ball that I thought, like, why are they doing that? Why aren't they trying this? I thought Tulane left everything out there with the quarterback run game, with the type of routes they ran, with going forward on fourth down. I thought they maximized themselves in a really attractive way that you could see they have talent, but they also weren't afraid to show it and take some risks on it. So I don't, it's not all about Oklahoma. Tulane deserves a ton of credit. Quarterback, play callers, head coach for doing what they did in that game. They're, they're a good football team. They're absolutely Hire Willie first. Come on, do it. Last couple questions. Daniel, I want to hear some week one overreactions and we're going to zero in on one of them that he said, Shahan. Is Iowa State fool's gold? <laughs> no, no. They, they do this crap every year. I don't know what it is. I don't know why Iowa State hates playing early games so much. Even though they've yeah. been this good for so many years, like last year, they finished, what, number seven in the country, I think it is. They lose, they lose to Louisiana in week one. What is that? I, I don't know what that is. Uh, they have not beaten Iowa, I don't think, since Matt Campbell took over. Like, they are horrific early in the season. And that is not what a national championship contender does, right? It doesn't. That's embarrassing and honestly a little pathetic. They get Iowa this week, and if they look like that, they're going to lose by 20. All that said, we've seen this before. It's unacceptable, but we've seen it before. And so I don't see a reason personally to, to treat it more than that. Uh, now, again, if, if they do this against Iowa, then... And yeah, they're going to be out of uh, they're going to be out of our contender column. We're not going to talk about them all season long ever again. But at this point, I'm willing to say it's just a weird, dumb game that they continuously seem to do. But no, they're not fool's gold. They're going to still be fine. It, it feels like they are. They'll rise to the level of competition and fall to the level of competition. Charlie Kolar didn't play. Yeah. I think as good as Brees Hall is, I, st I think he might be their best player. Sure. I mean, that is a, he is a, that tight end is a matchup nightmare. Go watch the Notre Dame game against Florida State. The, the, the way the Notre Dame tight ends, Michael Mayer, sliced up Florida State. We're talking about the Tulane tight end slicing people up. Charlie Kolar is a nightmare. He is, as, I think, as, as tough a matchup as anybody in the Big 12, and he didn't play. And Northern Iowa scored one touchdown on a drive where, like, they had the quarterback sacked, and he sort of stumbled away and threw a great, great completion. And then a couple plays later, Iowa State missed like four tackles on a guy and he ran for a touchdown. And that was basic. The, Iowa State did not give up much more than that. Matt Campbell even acknowledged after the game, though, they don't punch stuff in. He was like, our offensive problem is once we get past the 50. And it's like, oh, your offense is good other than the scoring? <laughs> other than the scoring? We're, so they have, a, they have a play at the end. Brock Purdy scrambles. Brock Purdy made some plays with his legs in that game. He scrambles down like inside the 10-yard line and they can't punch it in. And they wind up kicking a field goal when they're up 13-10 late in the game. A, a touchdown ends the game. And they can only kick a field goal. They're only up by six. And they give Northern Iowa a chance again. They've got to convert that stuff. Like that, I mean, like that is, I, you've made some really good points about Mike Rose and some other guys on that defense. They have a very solid, I think, well-designed defense. If they are not going to punch stuff in, 16 points isn't going to beat people. So, but I, I don't think it's fool's gold because I still think defensively they are very solid and they're going to be a tough matchup for a lot of teams. 
And all of this leads us into our final question, which we'll get to right after this on the College Football Playoff Show. Doug and Shahan, we love the questions. We love the response this week. We put out a great survey to the texters. That's going to be a big part of the Wednesday pod. Again, we'd love to have you. 817-442-6789. It's really easy to sign up, and it's a dollar a month. And if you do it, you could ask a question like this that someday might end one of our podcasts. This one is from Matthew. Which of the contenders has the biggest test in week two? And I'm going to jump in with a, a little guidance of my own. You can't say Ohio State, Oregon. That's too easy. I th- is it possible that two of the best 10 teams in college football reside in the state of Iowa? It's, is, it, is it possible? It is. It is conceptually possible <laughs> conceptually like is that <laughs> like they are humans they exist there are programs there by the definite like that's your answer because i think it like might actually be true because we had a pretty good week one slate and like week two is kind of like mm-hmm, for our contenders the people on our on our Contender list, Bama hosts Mercer, Georgia hosts UAB, Clemson hosts South Carolina State, Oklahoma hosts Western Carolina, Notre Dame hosts Toledo, Cincinnati hosts Murray State, Texas A&M is at Colorado. So the only two possible answers are Ohio State, Oregon, Ohio State hosting Oregon at noon, or Iowa State, Iowa. But I think Iowa might be better than Oregon. So I actually think Iowa State has the toughest test. As you said, it's something they, that Iowa State has not gotten over this rivalry hump. I think Iowa State is probably the second best team in the Big 12. I think Iowa is probably the second best team in the Big 10. It is going to be a great game. Shahan, Iowa smothered Michael Penix in Indiana. Now, Indiana caught some bad breaks. Indiana goes, Iowa goes up 14-0 in the first three minutes of that game. And then that crowd in Kinnick just eats Indiana alive. You know, Michael Penix throws a pick because the receiver slips kind of coming out of his outcut. And it hits him in the chest, pops in the air, and it's a pick six. And Iowa scores on like a 70-yard run because the corner for Indiana loses his mind and loses contain and dives inside and there's no one there to tackle Tyler Goodson. But Indiana, excuse me, Iowa has people who can make you pay. Tyler Goodson will make you pay. I thought Spencer Petrus played well at quarterback. There was no room to breathe for the Indiana offense. Iowa is on you. We know their offensive line is good. I thought Iowa looked like the real deal. And this is, this is like a gigantic, I don't know enough. My in-laws are from Iowa. Maybe they're listening. What's up? <laughs> I don't know enough to say this is the biggest game in the Iowa State-Iowa rivalry since X. But I think they legitimately might be two of the 10 best teams in the country. And I can't wait to watch this game. Well, we've mentioned it before. Uh Iowa State has not won a conference championship since 1912. So I'm just going to take the gamble that there's probably never been one as big as this. Because just, again, conceptually, I can't imagine what that would have looked like if, you know, Iowa State is going four and seven. And uh, and that's the, the history of this game. But seriously, this this right. is a this might be. I mean, obviously, there was Georgia Clemson in week one and Ohio State Oregon is going to be a great game. And I'm very excited to see it. And I'm very excited to see CJ Stroud against a defense that might be able to make him pay a little bit more uh, if he makes mistakes. But like 
in terms of just non-conference games in college football this year, this is up there. This is way, way up there in terms of the best that there are. And I mentioned it before. Iowa State has struggled in these early season non-conference games. It's been a consistent trend. Like, coming into the year at Big 12 Media Days, he was asked about it. Because this has been year after year after year they've struggled with these early games. This is the moment that that has to change. Not just for this individual team, but like for this Iowa State program. If you're going to be one of these teams that competes for the college football playoff, like this is what it's going to take. Not only do you have to beat Iowa, you have to beat them convincingly. Because look at the rest of the schedule. Oklahoma is really the only other place to kind of build your playoff case. There's nobody else who's going to be in that top 10, top 15 conversation. And even if Iowa loses this game, I think that there's a real chance that they still are a borderline top 10 team by the end of the year. So if you've got, let's say, a win over Oklahoma and you've got a win over Iowa, well, like, that's huge. That is humongous for this program. And the other thing, too, is that I think that the Big 12 kind of needs Iowa State to win this game Hmm. because... Look, I think Oklahoma's going to lose a game somewhere. I, I just think that that's, that's generally happened, right? Like, I think it's just tough to not lose a game. And so if you're in a position where there's a bunch of one-loss teams fighting and all of a sudden Clemson is one of those one-loss teams fighting and maybe a Georgia team that doesn't win the SEC is one of those teams fighting, like, you need to have some some teams there to be able to really prop yourself up. Like, I'm not worried about uh, between Oregon, between Penn State, between, you know, even uh, even Iowa, right? Like, Ohio State's going to have a couple teams that they're going to, I think, beat easily. But, like, they're going to have three or four or five top 25 teams to really hang their hat on. I don't know if that's going to be the case for the Big 12 this year. I think that they might be a little bit top-heavy. So, I don't know. I, I think this is a huge game for the state of Iowa. It's a huge game for Iowa State just as a program. This, I, I mean, I don't want to like come, you know, pull down the high or anything. This might be the best Iowa State team they that may ever exist, right? Like maybe ever. Like, I, I don't know if after this, if they're going to ever be this good again. So, so many super seniors. Yeah, yeah no, it's a special right. combination of things that allowed them to be so, this team. If you're not going to beat Iowa this year, like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? So I, I think it's going to be a huge game for them. I'm very, very, very excited for it. So I don't want to give anything away. You don't have to give your address, Shahan. Although, I mean, it would be nice if people could come by and see you. You know, I don't know. It's not really part of the deal that you've signed to be on this podcast. But you're in the state of Texas, yes. right? You're in the state yes. of Texas. I don't know. I don't know. You could drive to Ames. Just tell the CBS people you throw Romo in the back seat. And away you go, you and Romo, road tripping to Ames. This would be a great game to be at on Saturday, man. I'd throw it out there. I'd throw it out there. You're the rising young star at CBS Sports. I I would like to see it. I do think Xavier Hutchinson is a guy, remains a guy for Iowa State for me that I think is the difference maybe in a game like this. Seven catches for 88 yards in a game where, where Iowa State scored 16 points, caught a deep ball, explosive guy. I think he could be the difference maker in a game like this. But I do think it is for the playoff. I do think it's a must win game for both teams because their path to the playoff, you they have to win their conference. So that means Iowa's going to have to beat Iowa, Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. And that means Iowa State's going to have to beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. But do you really think either of those teams is going to go undefeated the rest of the year? And if you lose this game, it doesn't matter if you're a conference champ. If you have two losses, you're not getting in. You're not getting in. So if you're Iowa and you lose to Iowa State and then you trip up against somebody in the regular season and then you beat Ohio State for the Big Ten championship, all that means is the Big Ten's not getting anybody in. Right. 
And if you're Iowa State and you lose to Iowa and then you lose to Oklahoma in the regular season, you play them tight, and then you come back and beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship, you're not getting right. in because you have two losses. All you've done is ruin Oklahoma's right. season, but you're not getting in. So you can't lose this game as much as it. everything for winning your conference is still on the table for them. But I think for both these teams, the sights have to be higher this year. Because Oklahoma is not infallible. Ohio State has a young quarterback. When, if Iowa State and Iowa aren't going to beat Oklahoma and Ohio State this year, when are they? When are they? Is Iowa going to beat them when Quinn Ewers is the quarterback? Right? I mean, is is, is Iowa State going to do it when they don't have a million super seniors and they don't have Brees Hall and Brock Purdy? This is a one-shot playoff chance in the four-team playoff world for both these teams. And if you lose this game, that is almost over because now you have to be perfect the rest of the year. So that's how much is on the line here because I actually do think they are two of the 10 or 12 best teams in the country. I don't want to make a definitive statement at this point because the game has to happen. But it would shock me if the winner of this game isn't in our contender pile and the loser is just out for the rest of the year. I think that's it. That alone is motivation enough. Hang that in your locker room, Kirk Ferentz. We're going to be kicked out of the contender pile on the college football playoff show. Um, Brian Ferentz got mad at me one time because I because I said something about uh, he interpreted something I said as a uh, negative towards Nate Stanley. And uh, and all I could think is, why do you care what I say? <laughs> why would anyone care? But anyway, that's. The Q&A pod, that's the press conference pod. We appreciate you guys making it happen. We couldn't do it without your questions. So join the text right now. Take a minute. Just take a minute. If you're still here 53 minutes in, you care enough to spend a dollar a month. That's that's my plea at the end. It's like, for real, you spent 53 minutes of your life listening to this, but you don't want to spend a buck a month. 817-442-6789. You get to vote in surveys. You get to send us questions. And we drop in National College Football Tidbits once a day or so during the course of the season. It's fun. If you care enough to listen to this long, you care enough to subscribe to the text for three cents a day. Big Wednesday pod will be welcoming some teams to the contender pool. We'll be kicking some teams out of the contender pool, maybe. And Shahan and I will be ranking everybody one through 10 or one through 12 or whatever it is. Make sure you listen to the Big Wednesday pod. Make sure you read Shahan Jeharaja at CBS Sports where you were tearing up this weekend, right? I mean, tell, just give the people a little bit of a feel for what does a new national college football writer do on the first weekend of the season? Oh, man. Well, first of all, what they do is they have a lot of uh, screens open on their computer. A lot, a lot of screens. But no, I mean, I was writing news stories. I was obviously keeping track of every game. This was actually a great setup for me. I mean, the one thing that's a little sad, right, is like I'll probably be in stadiums a little less than I was before, but it's actually such a great setup to be able to like watch everything happen and be a part of it live, right? Because usually I wouldn't watch the Alabama game live, right? I wouldn't watch the Georgia game live. So it was a lot of fun to get to do that. This weekend, I'll actually be manning the CBS Sports live blog for Iowa versus Iowa State. So make sure and check that out at CBSSports.com. It'll be a lot of fun. Trust me. If you want to, if you want some idea of, of everything that I'm doing, follow me on Twitter at Sean J. Roger, because uh, it's a lot to list. I mean, I, I get to do everything from writing the like front page total recap uh, of College Football Weekend to today. I updated a Tom Fornelli story with more information about Randy Etzel. So you get just 
everything. That's a that's a great part about working at CBS Sports. And he's like <laughs> from the highs of the front page to the lows of the end of Randy Edsel's career. That is the Shahan J. Haraja experience. I'm going to get in the Iowa State, Iowa live chat while you're in it. But I'm going to use the screen name Tony Romo. So if that's we'll get the people all excited and then you'll only you will know it's just me. OK, thanks, everybody, for being part of the show. We'd love to have you. We, we love where we are with the show now that we have football started. And uh, we look forward to the Big Wednesday pod and you guys being part of it. For Shahan, Jay Haraja, I'm Doug, Leigh Maurice, and that was the College Football Playoff Show.